everybody. We are back. Welcome to another episode of More Than a Title. I'm your host, as usual, Jared Thomas. I want to say thank you for all the support, all the love. Uh, we're growing each week, and I really, you know, thank each and every one of you for to keep tuning in and keep streaming. And we're going to keep being us. We're going to keep being giving you honest, 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 authentic conversations. And I'm excited about today's conversation because this is a really, really unique one. Unique one. This is the first time I've interviewed three guests. And these three gentlemen here actually have a unique, incredible story. So I actually met through Jamie. Shout out to Jamie who's in the green room. So we actually met through them. And actually, as I started to do some more research on all three of these gentlemen um, and found out what their story is and what they've been able to create with MD Energy Advisors is just really amazing. So I just want to introduce these amazing, amazing gentlemen here. We've got the executive team at MD Energy Advisors. We've got Paul, we've got Phil, and we've got Jason. All these great gents coming to join us. How, how are you all? guys how's everything doing good man doing good jerry glad to be here thank you thank you man thank you it's an honor to have you guys here and i really appreciate you guys um and let's start from the top because anybody who's listening first time listeners so the whole premise of the show of more than titles really just talk about the experiences of our guests right what have they overcome how have they built their business and how they became where they are today and how they got there and what were some of the experiences and obstacles they had to overcome so let's start at 2010 right so it was a it was a funky time in 2010 after the recession i'm going to start with you phil because I, I read your post on medium and it was a situation where you were you were working nine to five, right? You were doing government work and also nonprofit. You had helped start a business. And then long story short, you basically were not awarded the opportunity to run the business. And then you kind of pivoted, right? And I wanted to start there because it, it resonates with so many people right now. If you guys are hearing the mass layoff stories that are happening across tech, across industries, and there's going to be a boom of solopreneurs. There's going to be people that have to pivot and have to, you know, change course of their career just out of necessity and, and out of survival. So, you know, what can you tell us a little bit about that story and and what was the story of you guys forming this partnership? Yeah, no, no problem. Um, yeah, 2010 was an interesting year. Um, as you know, the economy had collapsed in 2008 and um, I, I had begun doing some work. Uh, Jay Paul and I, we all worked um, for the city of Baltimore doing economic development and uh, beyond our nine to fives, I had um, helped start a nonprofit organization that was centered around community and economic development. And um, I was doing that in addition to my nine to five with the city. And, you know, Jared, I started the organization, helped put together the, the founding board. Uh, Paul and Jason would be at some of these community meetings where I would get lambasted because they thought we were gentrifying the community. Uh, and, you know, you know, I just knew that, okay, this was going to be my next step in my career. I had come out of banking and done uh, years in banking, uh, had then went to economic development with the city, and then I was going to do this, lead this nonprofit organization. Um, and the mayor at the time for the city uh, decided to go in a different direction. Uh, and so, you know, it was one of those moments where I was like, okay, I thought I birthed the baby. They'll give me the opportunity to take care of the baby. But not, not so much. She called and said, yeah, I think I'm going to go with someone with a little more experience. Uh, and it was a gentleman from New Jersey they ended up bringing down to, to run the organization. Wow. And, uh, you know, that was that was that was a pivotal point. That was what I call one of those aha moments sure. um, where you where you be like, OK, all right, what, what's next for me? Um, and I've had some others in my career where it's like, OK, I'm at a pivotal point. What do I do? And, you know, fortunately for me, uh, Jay uh, came in my office. Um, with the newspaper article about the deregulation of power and uh, the proverbial rest is history. So, wow, wow. So, so that was first of all, that's great timing from Jay. <laughs> so, Jay, <laughs> did you know that he was feeling that way? You just, you just happened to bring up um, the deregulation, what, what was happening in your area, and you brought it up to, to Phil. So, what was that conversation like? Did you know he was on the prowl looking, or no? It's a great question. I didn't. Um, I had no idea. So. Um... I started working at the same organization for Phil in 2008. So uh, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Uh, father, grandfather did a stint in banking and a stint in real estate development. Uh, 2008, my wife was pregnant with our son. Um, so I hopped on uh, with Phil. I, I wanted to learn a little bit more about the real estate development industry. I had done five years in banking, got an MBA and figured, um, you know, if I could get um, you know, some more real world experience in real estate development, then, you know, maybe I could start my own thing in, in real estate development. And um, I wish uh, I knew the pending uh, Lehman Brothers collapse was coming. I could have been the first big short. Um, <laughs> yeah. I didn't. It was just very fortuitous timing. 
uh, but was blessed that I was insulated with all the craziness going on in the world. Uh, but I just knew like I was a private sector guy, right? So like I got it one with Baltimore Development Corporation, great experience, uh, got to work for Phil with Paul. Uh, but I didn't see that as like the long-term, you know, opportunity that was really going to move the needle for me. So I started looking at a whole bunch of different things. Uh, and this was before, you know, people did remote work or hybrid, but it was important to me to be able to work from anywhere, uh, limited inventory. And I wanted a scalable opportunity where like the three buckets I was looking to fill. Um, so, it, it, you know, it sounds like it was fortuitous with the article in the Sun paper and going to fill, but... I mean, the dirty little secret is I looked at a bunch of different things um, and Phil and Paul were kind of my trusted advisors. Like I could bounce some ideas off of them, but I didn't know that they had the entrepreneurial itch candidly. Um, right. And I don't know if they were working me or not working me or what, but we, uh, you know, we were, uh, I mean, I was getting a lot of value too, because there was a lot of no's there that would have been, you know, some pretty big mistakes if I, if I went down that path. But uh, long story short, I brought them the article uh, we had some good conversations. They said, well, you know, not only do I think that's yeah, a good idea, I'd like to do it with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, put in some seed capital. Uh, and I think this will be important, you know, to unpack this as we as we continue to talk. Yeah. But the three of us put in 10 grand. Um, I mean, we didn't put in 100 grand. We didn't put a million dollars. We didn't go to try to raise VC. Um, we, we put in $10,000 between the three of us, kept our full-time jobs, worked nights and weekends, uh, and we like to affectionately call it the bootstrap grind. Like that, that's yeah. what we employed, um, you know, in, in order in order to get this company up and going. And the, the, these are the stories that I love, man. Said 10,000. First of all, sorry about that interruption. I know you guys are like, who the hell has a house phone still in 2022? <laughs> 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 so sorry about that. I don't know. I wasn't going to say anything, Jared. I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> but but that, uh, that's an amazing. So you guys put up 10,000 of your own and you started to bootstrap the business. And, and Paul, let's hear from you, man. So what, what was your mindset and what were you going through at this time, too, as you guys began to form, form this partnership? And then we'll go into you know some of the logistics of how you got going. Yeah, no. So that's a great question. I was um, I was actually fresh out of college or really, I should say, a, a couple of years removed from college. So I graduated in 2007. So before the recession set in. Um, but while I was in college, I had an internship working at Baltimore Development Corpor- Corporation, which is where, you know, Phil, I met Phil and Jason. Um, but, you know, so at this stage in the game, a year or two out of college, the recession just started. I had, to Jason's point, I had that entrepreneurial itch. I wanted to do something, but the time just didn't feel right uh, around 2008, 2009. And so I would look at a lot of different opportunities. I mean, part of what we did at our old job was we'd go around and we'd meet with business owners and see if there were ways that we could, you know, sort of help keep them in the city. But I'd use that as opportunities to kind of learn different business models, uh, figure out what motivated people, what got people out of bed in the morning. And so um, when Jason came in with this particular idea, you know, he brought it to Phil first and Phil and Jay came to my office and said, hey, do you got, would you like to join me? And I said, this, this looks like a great opportunity. So I jumped right in with these guys. That's amazing, man. One one thing I do like about the story, man, and I think Phil touched on in his Medium post, it was kind of tired of playing the game in the corporate spaces where you're kind of just, you're working, man, to to just pay the bills, you're surviving, you feel like you're doing good work, but it's not fulfilling in the long end, man. And I'll be honest with you guys, I'm kind of in that boat now, right, where you're like, I've had the up quarters, I have good quarters, man, I made a lot of money, I've been rock bottom, all those things in between, and my success and my future relies in the hands of somebody else's decision. And that's where it's just like, yeah, it has to stop, man. But one thing that you guys did, you identified a problem, right? And you guys came together. The hardest thing about starting a business is identifying which problem to solve. So what made it, so what made it this particular problem in this sector that made it was like, man, this is what we have to go for. What was what was the aha moment for you guys that said we have to go all in and this is where we're going to, you know, kind of plant our flag? Yeah, I, I'll take that and hand it off to the guys. I mean, I think to your point, we we kind of hedged, right? We didn't go all in. We, you know, we identified an opportunity. We're big subscribers and, you know, doing a minimal viable product. We put in $10,000 between the three of us. That $10,000 probably lasted us two or three years. Um, I mean, we built the first website. Phil built our first website on Wix on a Wix platform, right? Like, yeah. um, you know, we we you gotta 
test your thesis uh, in a market and, you know, you can keep your full-time job. You don't need to max out your credit cards. You don't need to take out a bank mm-hmm. loan. Like, look, if you're going to do some product stuff, it's a different conversation, right? You want to, you know, do the next iPhone, like startup capital is required, but in the service business, um, you know, there's ways to, you know, test your thesis without leveraging the farm. Um, and I think, you know, I think that's what gets lost in this a lot. It wasn't easy. Like 12 years later, we can we can cheerlead, bootstrap, grind all we want. But like, you know, it was it was humble beginnings um, and it was humble middle and, and sometimes still, <laughs> still a little humble. But, um, you know, I think that's what gets lost in a lot of this is like, I mean, I even had somebody the other day who just exited their company I was having a drink with. And, and he asked me a question that kind of resonated with. He's like, are you cash flow positive? And I like thought about that for a couple minutes. I'm like, we we are self-funded organization with no venture capital. If we weren't cash flow positive, I wouldn't be in a position to have a conversation with you right now. Right? Like, um, I mean, of course we're cash flow positive. Like we you have to be. So I think I mean, you could tell I'm passionate about this stuff. But I think, you know, we looked at a lot of different things. It was scale. Limited inventory allowed us to work from anywhere you know, we could stretch this, you know, a dollar um, and our first iteration, which we pivoted multiple times, which we might get into today. But mm-hmm. our first iteration was a one stop comparison shopping platform for residential energy choice. So, right. so what does that mean? If you and I are going to hop on a flight down to West Palm Beach, we go on to Kayak or Expedia. It aggregates all of the competitive options that are out there in the marketplace. And our thought process, it was called point click switch. You can point click switch your way to energy savings. We did the same thing that Expedia does for travel with energy. Um, and that's where point click switch came in and allows you to compare and contrast the competitive offers and make the, the selection that meets your goals and objectives. So, you know, November 21st of 2022, that's not the same company that we are today. We pivoted a whole bunch of different times. Uh, but that was our entree into this space. Phil built the first website. We collectively got licensed, bonded, insured by the Public Service Commission. We wrote the proposal. We paid for the bond. Like, you know, don't people can't shortchange themselves. Like, you can do this stuff. You can't break it. Um, there's no reason to, you know, leverage your house in the service-based business to try to figure this out. That I, I love the message in that, man, that because there's so many different people, especially on LinkedIn, so many different influencers out there saying, man, you got to break the bank in order to go in. You're like, man, I still kept my full time job and I was able to do this. And then you had to pivot a whole bunch of times. So, like, with, with that being said, first of all, I love the idea of the aggregate marketplace for residential, because I'll give you guys a backstory real quick before we go to the next question. Like I used to sell energy house to house in Brooklyn. I used to go, you know, used to be one of those guys, knock on your door, like, hey, man, you want to save a couple pennies on a dollar from your con ed and, and all that other stuff? And they would open the door. Man, I'm in the worst, worst block neighborhood in Brooklyn. <laughs> I did it for two days. <laughs> glad, glad I survived, man. But it, it, people are, it, the consumer education in that space is key, right? Because there's so many misperceptions about what it is and how do I save. And then most times, like people like Con Ed or some of the bigger residential places or the energy places, they just win. That's what we know, right? And that's that's a problem, right? So like when you guys had that first 10,000, 10, what, what would you say is the hardest or most difficult challenge you guys overcame when you first started? What was your first pivot? And how did you deal with that collectively as a whole? Wait, if you're talking, I think you're on mute, Phil. Wait, hold on, be on mute. Sorry, I was going to say, Paul, did you want me to take that or do you want to take it? Yeah, I mean, I can take it. You know, I think one of the challenges that we ran into very early, quite honestly, was just respect, right? We were an unknown commodity. You reach out to people, they've never heard of you before, they've never seen your logo, they go to your website. To Jason's point, it was the Wix website that Phil built, right? So in the beginning, Respect was a little bit of an issue. You had to build a name for yourself. And that needless to say, that starts with your first client. You win one client, then you win another, then you win another. Um, the learning curve was a little bit of a challenge in the beginning. Look, we're in the energy business, but we're not energy guys, right? You heard a little bit about our background. 
none of it had anything to do with electricity or natural gas, right? So we were sort of building a plane while we were flying it. And at the same time, a, a, an unknown commodity, right? So you could just sort of imagine, you know, some of the uh, the hurdles that we had to jump over throughout the process. But I just, I, I'd, I'd say those were probably the two biggest um, areas in the beginning that was difficult, the learning curve and just being an unknown commodity. Totally. And then once again, it goes back to consumer education, brand awareness. And then like early in the early days, it's both mostly referral, referral work, right? Once you do the good work, then your client rolls in and you have that that pool of leads and talent and, and a flow that you actually can forecast to say you're going to be successful. But um, also like on another part, like so you guys had the 10,000, you, you guys started the business, like, right? Like what are some other things that you guys like? I'm, think, I'm trying to think of the best way to word this, right? So what were the early days of you guys getting your your, your brand out there. Because for me, I'm a marketer guy. I'm a sales guy and a marketer. To give you guys some background, I started on LinkedIn out of survival, right? I was tired of sending a thousand emails out to people like you guys. And you guys are like, who the heck is Jared? F you. And it's like, <laughs> I don't know. He thinks he knows my business. He doesn't know. And I'm sending a thousand of these emails out and I get one person to, to, to you know, book a meeting and it's a pity. You know, you might've liked my name. You might've liked something in my messaging, but you're nowhere near ready to buy. And I was like, man, what ways can I build my own pipeline. And what it was for me, guys, was me just telling my story. I was 20 years old working at Starbucks and BBQ smelling like ribs. And I was doing this. And my first kid is coming on the way. Same year as you, Jay. Oh, wait. So I'm like, holy shit, the recession's coming. Too. <laughs> what am I going to do? I can't be I can't be serving these ribs no more. And then I found a way into tech, man. And then from there, I started my first sales gig and then stayed there. Uh, I was the top seller for the first six months. I mean, first eight quarters of me working there. And it was me just finding a niche and just working the heck out of them phones, man, and, and learning as I grew, man. So that, that that's kind of how it worked for me. So what was that early process for you guys, right? Because yeah. there was no, like, LinkedIn was still there. There's no real social media like that. You probably could do on local papers. Like, what was that process like of getting your name out there? Because I'm pretty sure you made some some big bets, and you're like, damn, we can't measure this stuff, and we yeah. can't track this, and we can't do that. Well, there were there were a couple things that we did, man. It was it's so interesting. Like, before there was a Jamie, there was Phil, Paul, and Jason just trying to shop stories to various newspapers. So we would, you know, we would, you know, go and try to send a press release to various newspapers, talk about energy prices, try to get featured in those, you know, publications and those types of things. So we, we did a lot of work like that. You know, Paul and I would go door to door, putting little sticky notes on people's doors, like it was like the UPS person to say yeah. call, you know, or visit, you know, pointclickswitch.com uh, in order to save some money on your energy bill. Um, postcards, the little uh, Vistaprint postcards. We did postcards um, door to door. You know, I mean, we, we got dogs put <laughs> get out of my store. You know, I don't want your energy. You know, we, we got it all, man. So we were I mean, we were kind of young and ambitious and hungry. I mean, I think that's what it is. So we tried everything, you know, and mm -hmm. the, the one thing that you touched on that I think is super important for your viewers and listeners is that you know, that customer service was our really our true breakthrough as it relates to our marketing. It's really wowing that customer so that customer could then go tell another customer so then you can build that way. And that was better than any type of, you know, social media, you know, direct mail, door to door campaigns is when you can kind of come in the door, warmly refer from an existing client and say, I work with these guys. They're the real deal. You need to give them a shot. There's then there's no sales. It's just what's the value proposition for that next particular customer and how much you could possibly save them. So that's a key piece I think a lot of people miss is how do you create your own, um, you know, your clients to be your evangelist um, and be provide you testimonials for, for future clients. Yeah, and I think to add to that, so you, you kind of asked uh, earlier about our pivot, right? So, yeah. I mean, we started selling aggregate choice platform, Expedia of energy, residential, you know, residential uh, energy only. And then, just a couple of, of lessons we learned, like School of Hard Knocks, that if we can help anybody listening, um, I think the first thing is like the cost to acquire a customer was really, really high oh and the margin was really, really low. Right. So that's that's not a winning formula. Right. So, um, you know, we pivoted from residential to commercial like we learn the energy business. You can competitively buy your residential energy just like you can on the commercial side. Yeah. Um, so that's that's really helpful. We made that pivot. Uh, we we didn't have to worry about uh, you know cost to acquire if you have 
you know, someone that represents hundreds of thousands of square feet of real estate, like you can spend a little bit more money to acquire that customer in order to convert them and make it back. So I think that's one thing to be razor focused on whatever business you're in is like, what is your cost to acquire from, you know, SEO, SEM or time, right? Like, are you spending a whole lot of time, energy and effort to acquire a customer and there's not going to be any payback? So the first pivot within the organization was from that residential to commercial. Uh, we've we've widened the offering since then, which we can we can touch on. But I think that was the first pivot. And then I think it comes down to three words: solve a problem. That's right? It. Like, um, you know, what problem are you solving? And then you got to listen to your customers. Like, don't make the assumption of the problem that you need to solve. If you ask the right questions, there's a lot of great books out there. Uh, and I think this was pretty, pretty helpful for growing our business, just like the question based selling approach. Yeah. Right. If you have the opportunity to speak to your customer within your target market, if you ask the right questions, they'll give you the answers. Right. Like, but you got to ask the right questions and then you need to listen. Right. And if you ask pointed questions, guide the conversation and listen, um, they'll give you the answer. They'll give you the go to market strategy. They'll give you. Um, you know, what you should be focused on. You just got to be intentional with the questions you ask and be a great listener. That, Jay, that, that's gold, man. That, that's my arena selling one-on-one right there. <laughs> so I love what you're saying. And I say that to sellers all the time, man, right? But the way we're trained in sales is to go after high value, like fluffy questions, band, you know, budget, you know, authority, need, decision-making. And it's like, for somebody like yourself, man, how can you solve my problem? And do you understand my business? That's mm-hmm. all I want to know. And, and if you mm-hmm. go through or, or, you know, gear your questions towards that strategy, mm-hmm. discovery is going to open up. And then what you do in today's era, you create content and, and then proactively answer those questions. So when you are going to make a sale, you already come to me, you're top of mind. And then just mm-hmm. a quick little um, session, what you said too was actually really good as a customer acquisition. So for anybody listening, like you said, for any of your paid marketing efforts or even organic, that is the course it takes to acquire a customer. And what you do to really calculate that is basically what you paid for that customer and your lifetime value of that customer. And that's how you know if you have a profitable customer. So like in those back in the days, that's when like direct mailers, lead gen, you get the lead, uh, the, the direct form page, the one landing page, and then you put in your email and then you have no clue if they're going to convert from there. And now it's even crazier because the customer journey has changed so much. So what you were saying is gold, and I, and I love that aspect of it. And then as you were saying, some of the additional pivots that you made, like when when did you get in your growth collectively to say, man, when do, when are we going all the way in in terms of leaving our full-time jobs? What, when, when did that moment happen? And what decision or like what kind of conversation did you guys have internally? Well, we, we kept a legal notepad, believe it or not, man. It was so funny. We still have it to this day. And we would track every bit of revenue or dollars that we made, you know, each month on how much we made. A lot of the business that we are, the business that we're in is a recurring revenue business. So, you know, we were able to kind of project. So, you know, Paul and I, you know, by this time, Jay had left and went to another job. So Paul and I were kind of still working together. And this little legal notepad that we kept, we would say, okay, when we get to this dollar amount, that should be enough for us to jump. And, and, and when I say jump, it wasn't like jump and live comfortably. It was like <laughs> <laughs> jump, leave your nine to five and be able to keep your lights on barely, you know. Yeah. Um, but because we were in a recurring revenue model, which I think is a nugget for your viewers and listeners as well, we were able to kind of project out, okay, this revenue, if we get this, you know, revenue in place, we just need to build from there. And so it took us about two years from, from the time we, two and a half years from the time we started the company to actually jump out on our own and leave our nine to five, it was about you know two and a half years, and and I would always say you know for folks you know our nine to five was our first you know you know angel investor, you know we yeah. we took that time and those monies and redeployed it back into the company in order for us to leave, and uh, we didn't try to leave and make more money. We actually made less money than when we were working our nine to fives, but it was just enough for us to live comfortably. And we sacrificed, you know, Paul was young and single at the time, no family. So he took less money. I had a family, so I took a little bit more. And Jay took a laptop because he was still at his other job. So we all sacrificed for the greater good of really, you know, you know, getting and growing the company, getting the company going. I love that, man. (laughs) You guys, first of all, that understanding. First of all, you could, egos could break businesses like that. 
egos can easily break a business like that. And you guys have a, 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 a interesting dynamic and I love it. I could tell the synergy in the, like, I hate even using that word synergy, but I could tell you guys are like in lockstep. You guys are, are totally, totally all in, all in, man. So even with that, so you guys got to that point where, you know, like you said, you're surviving, you're sacrificing. For anybody listening, we talk about it all the time when we speak to, you know, you know, business leaders. The difference between a business leader and a regular worker is they actually took the risk and made the sacrifice. And sometimes we put that in our heads that it's too hard, we can't do it, or something can't be done. Man, you can do it. It's just how bad do you want it? And these gentlemen are a testament to that. If you guys don't get this from that story, right? Like you guys are are, are doing it, right? So I would love to know now, because you guys know what's going on with the economy, right? So as business owners, you're seeing what's happening, what's going on. Um, you've made adjustments. You pivoted the business. How do you prepare for something like this? How do you prepare for a struggling economy? How do you prepare if subscriptions go down? How do you go, you know, if you're forecasting slightly lesser? Like what are some of the things that you guys are actively talking about as you look forward to 2023? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's how a couple of things. I think it's to Phil's point, do you have a recurring revenue model or not? Yeah. Are you start? I mean, we're, you're, and, and what is your forecasting, right? Yeah. So you're at November 21st, you're moving into the first of the year. Like, are you starting next year with a recurring, if you're a life in the life insurance business or the financial advisory business, like, are you starting the year knowing that, you know, this is what your recurring revenue model is going to be and this is how much money you're going to make? Are you starting the, the year from zero and you have to go get everything, right? So, um, I mean, we to continue to pull the thread all the way through on our story, and I think it'll exemplify the, the uh, or answer the question rather that you're asking. You know, we started Resi, we pivoted to commercial, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, we built that. You, know, you have modest success there with a recurring revenue model, which is helpful to cover overhead. That's so true. we have that's in our commercial solutions company. We have a utility solutions company where we staff engineers and business development professionals to the rebate programs around the country. So we have commercial solutions. We broker electricity and natural gas and do energy efficiency and solar projects. We have our utility solutions division, which has multi-year engagements with multiple utility companies around the country, right? So from if you're looking at, you know, building a fortress balance sheet or building, a, you know, a, a nice revenue model, you have multi-year agreements on the commercial side. You have multi-year agreements on the utility solution side. And we have a financing side as well. So we have kind of three solutions companies. But mm -hmm. I think I think you just have to be real with yourself, which is, you know, what did I do last year? What am I going to do this year? How much of it do I have accounted for in my pipeline? What's going to win? What's not going to win? Where am I trying to get to? And how much do I have to go get? So um, I think that's a long-winded way of saying, like, Overhead and forecasting are paramount and like yeah. how much revenue is a shoe in and how much revenue do you have to go get? And then you need to structure your activities accordingly are, you know, if you have to go get that revenue, 80% of your time needs to be revenue generating. If you need to close on the deals that you have in front of you, 80% of your time needs to be focused on closing those opportunities. So I think it's just being very real with, you know, what the headwinds could potentially be and to the best of your ability, accurately forecasting and then giving up your time accordingly um, yeah. is my advice. No, that, yeah. that's, that's a great point. I'm sorry, Phil. Yeah. And, and, and I would just add too. I think a lot of times you have to block out the noise. You got to become laser focused on your business and not listen to, oh, recession's coming. And then you start worrying. You, you got to worry about what you can control, which is how do I serve my customers? How do I meet their needs? How do I continue to grow? How do I work, you know, in the business, on the kind of work on the business instead of working in the business? Um, those are the things that are within your control. So, I mean, there's a there's a psychological aspect of this game called entrepreneurship that I don't think a lot of people think about. I don't watch local news anymore. Not good for me. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't benefit me anymore to watch local news. So, you have to make sure that the things that you are listening to, reading, watching are aligned with positive growth aspects and where you want to go. Because, if you know, if you read the headlines, you know, you just say, well, I'm giving up because I know recession is going to hit in 23 and there's no need to be going further. So true. 
So yeah. gloom and doom everywhere you. I'm, I'm assuming you're not much on social media either, right? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine Link, LinkedIn might be the only one. LinkedIn, LinkedIn. But but LinkedIn is getting like that now too, man. Yeah. Like I, I literally just put that out. I just had a conversation with somebody where it was like LinkedIn. First, of all, I love LinkedIn because of the organic reach. So if anybody listening, you guys, any new t- new listeners, LinkedIn and TikTok is where you're gonna get organic visibility, where you can get a million views and have a hundred followers, right? It's not gonna be like that for long, so you gotta jump on it. But what you see now is the Elon Musk stuff. What is he gonna do with Twitter, right? You're seeing the the fall of that. Then you're seeing people from Meta and all these other places. And then you know everybody's telling their story, and it's like people are talking about. You know, I had a conversation with a lady from Meta. And she was saying, you know, it was bad. You know, I don't want anybody to lose their job. It's especially holidays. It's tough times, man. I'm, I'm in that same boat. But um, like she had six months severance. And I'm like, man, you know, I, I just came from a place where, you know, they gave me a month and told me goodbye. And, and we love you, Jay. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's just what it is. And now I've got to figure it out. So it just you, you see all those things. I just put a post up about the same thing. Right. Like you got to got to alleviate the noise because my journey is going to be com- completely different from you guys. Right. And you guys are on a specific journey and you're laser focused on that. So with that, that's what I really, you know, take away from that. And I love that, man. So with, with that being said, like I'm, I'm going to be an entrepreneur myself, like I'm actually starting my business. I'm doing uh, LinkedIn courses and digital courses right now, built out OTD digital. And I would love to hear from you guys. Like what advice would you give to myself and other entrepreneurs that are looking to grow their business in this time right now? Like what are, what are some things that you would advise me to do, man? Or, you know, like, Hey, Jared, man, don't make a left here, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got it. But I mean, one thing I'll definitely advise is um, get some outside help. Like get an extra set of eyes on what you're doing. We're 12 years in the business. We've brought on some outside help recently, recently an executive coach that just kind of help us with, you know, being hypercritical of what we're doing, why we're doing it. And I can tell you, I mean, it's, it's, it's made a lot of huge difference in the past couple of weeks. I mean, you know, we've only been working with this person for weeks now and it's, it's had a great impact. So I'd recommend getting some outside help and getting an extra set of eyes on what you're doing. Yeah. And I think from a tactical standpoint to, to Paul's point, um, like if you, and I, I, I do view it this way. If you have the luxury of building, like of building a business from the ground up, I mean, there's so many, I don't know if I could do it again. You got, you got to be a little crazy. Uh, right? Like, and uh, I was a little younger, a little thinner and had a little bit more hair when we started this thing. Uh, but you know, you, you kind of, you kind of move through this. Um, but you have the luxury of, of building the business. I would like, you know, take, take some time and figure out like, where do you want to be in five years? Where do you want to be in 10 years? How should you, you know, build your book of business? Who should you go after and why? Um, I mean, there's definitely, you know, you know, a a longing to want to run a revenue, right. And I get it. You got to, you got to turn it, but like, who do you want to work with? Uh, you know, we subscribe, you know, you had a little fun with your language out. We subscribe to the no assholes policy, right? Like <laughs> you, yep. you don't want to bring those people into your organization, right? Because you have to deal with them. Your colleagues have to deal with them. Like you're just perpetuating a problem. So I think, you know, figure out who your target market is, be steadfast with who you want to call on and stick to your knitting. Like it's, it's really easy to run to the revenue. Um, For sure. And then I think, you know, something else to consider is like, how do you get a one to many strategy? Right. Like mm-hmm. what can you employ that will provide a one to many strategy? So not knowing anything about the business, but like, can you get put on by Meta or can you get put on by one of these organizations yeah. to help the employees you know, improve their LinkedIn uh, profile to be more attractive for companies to hire. Like, is there a way where like, hey, you're letting off 10,000 people. Why don't you help and give these people a little bit of soft landing? I'm the guy in order to do it. I'll help, you know, refine their LinkedIn profile, you know, get them more marketable versus, you know, cost of acquisition going for that individual one of 10,000 person who did get laid off, like, is there an opportunity to get a one-to-many strategy? I think that's something that I would consider. Absolutely. Scalability, man. And and you you guys also mentioned something too, like with the diversity, diversity piece of it, right? And hiring, right? You have a no assholes policy, right? So are you guys physically doing the hiring still? You have people to help with that? And how how do you make sure that people don't kind of get through that, right? Because I'm kind of dealing with that right now. And that's what made me shift to the business, right? Where I'm talking to, I've maybe talked to 25, 30 businesses, 
and I'm speaking to young 25, 26 year olds, right? I'm 34 years old. I'm like, man, I'm generating 2 million impressions on LinkedIn and this and that. I've sold $2 million without a cold call. And you appreciate that, Jay. Like I sold 2 million at an agency without a cold call. It was strictly from LinkedIn and building up the brand and all that stuff. And I'm trying to get a sales job now. And I'm like, what the hell am I thinking? Why am I, why am I, why am I talking to the 25 year old that's like me that doesn't understand it or understand the real value versus speaking to somebody like yourself where you could be like, man, I could plug and play Jared here. I understand he's more than sales. He could do marketing and all those other things. Right. So what are some things that you guys look at when you make hiring decisions? Right. How do you, do you guys look for people in the industry, outside the industry? Do you think it's a, a good blend of both? Like, how do you guys would approach that? Uh, number one rule, Jared, for us is be a good human being. Like be, be be a good human being. You know, I, we look before we get to your paper and your credentials and where you went to school or what you did previously. You know, you know, show up. You know, a on time and just have a little bit of humility in your approach. And you kind of know it. Um, so we do use like an outside uh, recruiting firm, but we, the three of us, meet everyone who comes in the organization. Like no one comes in the organization without meeting the three principles of the organization. So exactly. it's a be a good human being. You know, we like to kind of hear, you know, where you come from. You know, like what you know, not only what you've done work, but you know, where'd you grow up, where you come from, where you're from, what you like to do in your spare time. That that tells you a lot about people, you know, right there. Um I, I tell you where we've made mistakes. We don't do well with people who have a lot of ego. <laughs> we don't do well with people who are, you know, pedigreed, who come from the best universities. We like underdogs, yeah. right? We, we like a little bit of grit. We like you to have gone through some things because people have gone through, through some things. It's almost like when you, you know, we've all been in some relationships before where you had a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You didn't, it wasn't a good relationship, but then the next person comes around and they like, wow, this is great. I didn't know this even existed. Yeah. That's the culture that we want to foster for an organization that, you know, how are your kids doing? You know, how's your mom doing? How are you feeling? Like it's a it's a culture of just respect of people beyond TPS reports, metrics, and things like that. That's so true, man. So true, man. And and, and then like you actually brought a good point because I want to still, you know, before I know we run out of time now, but I would love to know a little bit more about you guys' individual backgrounds, it being more than a title, right? So like tell me a little bit about if you guys don't mind going, like, tell me about your backgrounds, like and what is the end goal? For you like what does success and happiness look like for you guys at this point in your careers uh, I'll, I'll kick off real quick so I'm, I'm originally from cleveland um and uh moved to east to, to maryland to go to morgan state university um morgan state, morgan state <laughs> yeah. msu yeah and so um you know um, dad was a mailman mom was a you know was a, a secretary at a hospital like we, we come from humble beginnings, you know, um, and really, but my parents instilled me hard work. So that's one of the things that I, I've always enjoyed hard work. And I always wanted to solve, at least for my family, the wealth creation, the wealth creation yes. dilemma. It, it hasn't avoided my family forever, you know, since we've been in this country. And so I'm trying to be the first millionaire in my family. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to solve for that. That's my goal. Um, and so if I can leave my kids, which, you know, they're a little more privileged than how I grew up, you know, with a little bit of a nest egg, you know, that would be the end goal. But I, I'll tell you, and I don't think I've shared this with J.M. Paul, I'm having a lot of fun right now. Like, the end goal for me is like, let's just keep doing what we're doing. Like, I'm hearing these stories about people exiting businesses and they're lonely and miserable and they don't have any work. Like, I'm having fun right now. The company is growing at a, at a record pace. We're having a good time. And I'm just going to enjoy the journey while while I'm here. So, love that man. Love that man. And and that's. Are you the first business owner in your family? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh man, yes. I'm a, I'm a lot of first in my family, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that man. I, I I felt that so much, man. Because as of last week, I'm the same. I'm the mm -hmm. first one out of four or five generations in my family, man, to have a business. My dad worked two jobs, man. Twenty worked from nine in the morning to eleven at night for twenty seven years to put me through Catholic school. Mom's was assistant principal, man. I was in the streets. I was bullshit. I went to Catholic school, got kicked out, went to public school. I had to do two years in one, had a kid early, man. And it was looking shaky at first, man. But now to see the look in their eyes, to see what I'm doing, I'm talking to talking to people like you guys, man. I, I'm killing it in tech space, man. Like, And that's what matters to me, too, man. It's just like showing my family I could do something. What are my boys seeing right now? 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Can I leave that nest egg? And really what happiness right now, man, you mentioned it, man. Doing what you want, when you want, with the people you love, man. And that's what really matters. And you're doing what you what you want to do. And a lot of people don't talk about this when it comes to successful businesses. But that's so true what you said about the exit. Like once you exit a business, that's your baby. You know what I mean? That's your baby. And I'm like, what, how do you fulfill that purpose? How do you fill that void? And it's like, do I start the next thing? And then, then you get that imposter syndrome. What if the next thing fails? I was good at this last thing. You know what I mean? So many different things. So you hit on some good points, man. And I, I love that, man. And, and Jay and Phil, I mean, Paul, would you guys, you know, are you saying similar to um, Phil with that, man? We'd love to hear you guys' perspective. Yeah, no, definitely 100% similar. So I grew up in the DC area. Mom was an immigrant. Dad was, you know, ex-military, uh, went to school at Morgan State, you know, similar to Phil. But for me, the end goal, uh, really, it's, it's, it's about building something special, right? No one's going to be on this planet forever. You're going to leave here at some point. And when you leave, you want to leave something special behind. And that's leaving something special behind for your family, but also just leaving something special behind for people outside your family, right? You build a, a, a company, a, a place of employment, a place where people can show up every day and really love what they're doing. I mean, that's that's to me, that means a lot. And the freedom that comes along with that is priceless as well. Right. So it's not about the dollars. It's just about the um, it's about building something special. It's about having freedom. I mean, that's 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 where it's at for me. Yeah. And I'm curious. I want to actually you two before I get to begin to you, Jay. But for, for Paul and Phil. Um, the impact is big on me too, especially in my neighborhood, man. Like, you know, I actually went to, it was a crazy story. I went to, you know, people I know from the neighborhood, never left the neighborhood in 30 years, man. Pulled me aside like three days ago, man, yo, Jay, man, I'm thinking about doing a podcast. I want to do this and that. I'm like, oh, bro, I've never seen you. <laughs> like, I'm getting you to think differently. And that means something to me. And that means like the world to me. So how do you guys measure impact? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, man. It, it's so hard. You, you never know how, you, A, you never know who's watching you. Um, but there's so many people watching you and kind of admiring you from afar. I think for me, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, I give a lot of time to, to various organizations um, and, you know, go back to, to Morgan and, and speak to the School of Business and Entrepreneurship School. Like, um, you know, m my goal would be to create other entrepreneurs, you know. And so, you know, one thing I would say for you, Jared, you've got all these all this talent that's coming to you, you know, every week those should be that should be your advisor pool right there i mean exactly. used to say i'm gonna call phil for this i'm gonna call you know paul for this jason for this michael whoever you interviewed and spoke to those should be your board of advisors for your next step in your career and you know you know we you know had the opportunity to be on this platform you should start leveraging that to, to your own if you haven't already to to really get to, to the next level or where you want to be or make connections so that, you know, this is going to be sponsored by LinkedIn. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, your podcast sponsored by LinkedIn. So, I mean, I, I love giving back in that way. How do I help other entrepreneurs? Man, that, that, that was gold right there, man. That's great advice, brother. I appreciate that, man. And you better believe it. I'm going to be tagging all three of you guys. <laughs> Please add me on LinkedIn, man, because I try to add you guys, man. Add me on LinkedIn. Paul, I think you don't have a LinkedIn, man. You got to get on LinkedIn. That is, I don't know. I got to get you. I'll create your profile, bro. We'll make you go. <laughs> how, about, how about you, Jay? I know you said your background. You come from, like, a, a family of entrepreneurs. Like, So just tell us, you know, like, you know, your background as well and, and kind of what is happiness for you at this point. Yeah. So I think just to level set, like these aren't Jeff Bezos entrepreneurs. Like this is like bootstrap grind entrepreneurs too, but they, uh, you know, they yeah, they, um, you know, they did an amazing job of leading by example. My, my grandfather started a company and his first company was making $7 a week. Um, and my dad needed speech lessons and that cost with the bus that cost two, <laughs> that cost $2 a week. So you can imagine that was problematic. Right. So we, uh, you know, we're, we're Jewish. So we, you know, we kind of had to figure it out. Um, you know, so my, I think, you know, we we're kindred spirits, right. Working with, you know, Phil and Paul and myself, I think we inherently understand one another. Um, you know, we've been kind of, we, we've all kind of started from the bottom trying to figure, figure this thing out. Um, but yeah, they just, you know, my, my family led by example, um, you know, my, my grandfather worked his tail off. My father worked his tail off. Uh, I was, you know, provided with, you know, some private school opportunities because of the work that, that my father had done. And for me, it was, I can't be the generation that takes a step backwards, right? Yeah. Like my grandfather started making $7 a week and my dad needed speech lessons at $2. And my dad, you know, pressed it and got me, you know, some good opportunities 
with sound education and ran a company and led by example, like I can't be the generation that takes a step backwards. So that's like, mm-hmm. I mean, if you ask me what, what pushed me through the last 12 years and, you know, trying to figure this whole thing out, like I don't want to be remembered that way. You know, I want to be remembered as, you know, the generation and my children, you know, I have two children. They both are in private school right now. I didn't, that was super important to me. I didn't know 36 months ago how I was going to make that happen or if I was going to be able to make that happen, but I don't want to be that generation, you know, that, that, that takes a step backwards. So that, that's the, uh, that's, that, that's, that's what feels me. Man, that, that's real, man. And, and you know what's, uh, I'm going to ask just a follow-up question before we go, man, on that, Jay. How do you deal with that mentally, man? Because that's a lot of pressure, too. I'm pretty sure there's been moments it was like, man, I am obsessed with winning, and I'm going to show my family yeah. what the hell is up. So how do you deal with that, too, man? Because that's, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. I mean, you figure it out, right? Like, you you just sure. do. Like, it's not, it's not all roses, but how bad do you want it? And, and what's the alternative? Like, I mean, the, the thing we didn't touch on today was we've all worked places that we were miserable, miserable. I'd rather have the pressure and have the opportunity than to be miserable. And, you know, as daunting as that test might might look like, like I get to play the game, like put me in and let me play the game instead of somebody else dictating how the game is played. Like I'll take I'll take those chances. I said, take my chances every day, man. <laughs> I said, I love that, man. I love that attitude. And, and gentlemen, man, I just want to say, I don't want to keep you guys much longer. I, we're almost at 50 minutes. I didn't even realize, but I'm just enjoying this conversation. But, like, I've learned so much from you guys in this conversation. And one thing I do want to give back to you guys, and I'm curious, are you guys documenting your story along the way? Because I think it's powerful, and I think you guys should if you haven't. Like, well, everything yeah, we do. Everything should be documented. It should be a camera following you, Paul, Phil, Jay. There should be a cameras following you everywhere. Once a month, you guys film or record your Zoom sessions, right? What are those power, those those mind of the, you know, meetings of the mind, like, you know what I mean? What are we, how are we pivoting? How do we go through these things, right? And then let people into the journey. Like, if I was a brand right now, like, I was trying to pitch this to brands and they, they fell on deaf ears, but I'm like, man, imagine we had a reality show as a company. If we had a real office, but we're the office. Sure. Now I am Jared. Now, right now, if you had Jared, the salesperson, and I'm calling you. You effing love me, and you do this. You want to talk, and now you're the friend. I'm the person you want to go get the beer with. And now it's easier to have that discovery conversation. It's easier to connect some dots. It's easier to get that relationship. And I think with you guys in your story, man, the way you guys are together as a dynamic, I think you guys would would, would kill it, especially on LinkedIn, guys. So if there's anything I can help you guys with, if you haven't done it already, I know Jamie's on top of it. Shout out to Jamie. Let me know, guys, because I would love to continue hearing your story and following you guys along the journey, for real. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Thank you. You got to pull us out of our shell a little bit. We've kind of been in in ninja mode for a minute. (laughs) uh, No, we understand the importance of it, for sure. No, please. If there's any way, man, please let me know, man. Like, I I would do it. Any tips, tricks, anything like that, man. It was just being authentic. Like I said, I had... Mm out of necessity. It was no nothing. It was no rhyme or reason. My boss told me he had 50,000 followers. I just asked him, how do we, how are we getting revenue? He said, through Twitter. And I said, bing, light bulb. You're over there. I don't know Twitter, but let me go to LinkedIn because I assume that's where our customers are. And mm-hmm. I'm just going to be myself. I'm going to go downstairs every single morning. No editing, no anything, man. Mm-hmm. Two months of that, just talking about parenting, life, SEO, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I would go get a chicken parm, man. People would recognize me in the city of Manhattan. <laughs> and it was like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, you know, I'm just a guy from the Bronx with two kids, man. I'm just like, I'm a regular guy, man. I'm humble. You know, I'm not used to that stuff. I just like to give game and, and be myself. And that's mm-hmm. what changed, man. So you guys, please, man, if there's any way I can help you guys, let me know. And for all the listeners, all the comments, man, thank you guys for, for joining and showing up, man. I know it's a Monday. It's, a, it's not our usual day, but thank you guys for still sticking in with us because this was a very, very, really cool conversation, man. I, you know, I really appreciate you, gentlemen. And I am going to pull you guys' cards. So once we get off this, please, I'm going to send you guys my number, man. If you guys are in the New York City area, I do this to all the guests, man. You're in New York City. Please let me know. Lunch on me, dinner, man. I would love to just kick it with you guys, shoot the shit, man. Let's just build a relationship, man. So I really appreciate yeah. you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate Thank the you. opportunity. Awesome. Thanks, man. Absolutely. And so for everybody listening, we're going to see you guys next week. We've got a, uh, you know, first of all, happy Thanksgiving to all, right? So we got Thanksgiving. Matter of fact, before, but let's end it on that note. Man, what are we grateful for? What are we grateful for to end it off, man? What are we grateful for, man? If you want me to kick it off, man, I, I, I can kick it off and say, man, I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my health. 
I'm grateful for my two beautiful boys, man, Jameer, Case. I love you guys. Um, everything is for you guys. I'm appreciative of all the support, man. And we're here, man. Happy for happy for life, man. Cool. Yeah, I, I'll go next, man. Look, I, I'm grateful for these two guys. I've been staring at their faces for almost 15 plus years now, man. Yeah. And uh, no, I mean, honestly, you heard you hear a bunch of horror stories about partners. Um, you know, I go to sleep every night and the last thing I'm thinking about is the bank account or any craziness that's going to happen within the company. So I, I know I, I know I take that for granted because I hear some other stories. So, but I'm, I'm thankful for these guys. Definitely. That's love, man. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Same here. But to add to that, man, look, I'm just grateful to wake up every day, man. I feel like every day that you wake up, you got a chance, right? And every day is not going to be perfect. You know, you're not always going to win. Some days you're going to fall. You're going to be first in line. Sometimes you're going to be last in line, right? But every day you wake up, you got a shot. So uh, I'm just grateful for life, grateful to have my health, and um, just excited to, to go into a new year pretty soon. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm thankful, you know, similarly, family, health, and I mean, the opportunity to get a nap at every single day, right? Like, I mean, I love it. Like, I love what we're doing. I love who we're doing it with. Um, and I, I wouldn't want to do anything else. Love it, man. Love it, guys. Well, I'm wishing you guys a ton of success in 2023 and beyond. I'm going to be rooting for you guys, man. Uh, you know, I can't wait to, you know, finish, you know, keep on continuing to build this relationship. And for everybody listening, man, you know, I love you guys for free, man. I appreciate all the support. You guys keep me going. It's been some tough months. And you guys keep me on keep me on page. I love you guys. And next week, we got a crazy episode. We got Mary Webb joining, man. She's actually the creator of Flow from Progressive. So that's going to be a really cool story, man. I want to know how she created Flow. Is she getting money after that? What does the mm. revenue look like? I want to know creative process, all that stuff. We're going to figure it out, guys. So tune in next week, next Thursday, 530 usual time. And guys, thank you again. And thanks for another great episode of More Than Title. We'll see you guys next week. Heard it all, oh, what you know about me? I've done it all, just want it all.